Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Angry Millennial. You must be prepared to ignite. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, who doesn't love really well-designed photography clothing? Check out clickgearclothing.com, a lifestyle for urban photographers. All Angry Millennial listeners can use coupon code ANGRYPHOTO to receive 20% off any order. And the first three people who sign up for our newsletter after the show will get a free $25 gift card. Now guys, be sure to also check them out on Instagram at clickgearclothingltd. What's going on, AM Nation, and welcome to the Angry Millennial Show, where we chat with creatives and entrepreneurs about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, the ugly. Today, we have Outbound Creative founder and host of the Working Without Pants podcast, Jake Jagorvin. How you doing? I am doing pretty good. How are you, Jose? Not going to lie. I think I already butchered your last <laughs> You did. It's okay. Uh, it's all right. It's Jorgovin, but it's fine. You can, Jorgovin. There it. we go. There we go. I, I, it was so funny. When I came with your name, I go, yep, and I already forgot how to say <laughs> No worries. <laughs> Have you gotten that a lot growing up? Yeah, yeah. My uh, my last name's always been a challenge for people, but, uh, you know, and uh, especially as you build a personal brand, I'm just like, gosh, that's... I wish I had like one of those easy names to remember, like Tim Ferriss or something like that. Versus <laughs> no one knows how to say or spell that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, hey, to be fair, my first name is four letters like yours, but no one can spell it right. And my last name is Rosado, R O S A D O. But you'd be surprised how many people get that wrong too. It's got a good flow to it, though, Rosado. Yeah, it means pink in Spanish, so I used to be called Joy Pink in high school. Fucking sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Um, so Jake, I know early on you launched your first video production agency, which quickly grew to working with several Fortune 500 companies, A-list touring artists. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. So tell us a bit about how that all started. Yeah, so I was, um, I guess technically this started as a recording studio in my basement when I was 15. Ooh, and your then, Beats Laboratory, huh? Yeah, so my Beats <laughs> Laboratory. It literally kept the same brand name, except we changed the last word of it, which I can't say due to uh, legal issues after I left the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, <laughs> basically kept that going, and then in college, um, started actually making real money with it, and then eventually I partnered with another guy. Um, when we were 19, sophomores in college, and started turning it into an actual video production agency. Um, and so we were 19, had no idea what we were doing. Literally, we got in an argument with our first client because we didn't understand like invoicing them, um, <laughs> which is just such a simple business thing. But we were just young and naive and had absolutely no idea. Neither of us were business majors. We were audio majors. And um, mm-hmm. so... Basically, just kind of started this business, didn't really know what we were doing and just kind of figured it out along the way. But we're, you know, we did good work. We put together good videos. And so we 
got hired and quickly kept escalating the caliber of kind of people we were working with, the types of projects, the budgets. Um, nice. By the time we graduated, we had an office, a full-time employee, um, and we were working on some really big touring artists and everything as well, um, even before we graduated. And then within a couple years of graduation, got into the corporate event world as well, um, worked with some big corporate events as well, and basically – what we did is we designed like the graphics that went on stage production. So whenever they had these big, huge projection screens or LED video walls um, mm-hmm. that you see at concerts or at corporate events, those are the kind of uh, graphics and videos we would design. Oh, very cool. So I know you, you kind of mentioned it a little bit um, previously in some, some capacity. So is the company still around? I, I know you just mentioned that maybe you're not involved in any real capacity. Yeah, um, so... Um, Basically, I, I hit a point where, again, I partnered when I was 19 years old. Uh, over time, just grew to a point where my business partner and I had different directions we wanted to go. Right. Um, you know, when you put two young college kids together, uh, they have no idea who they are, or what they want to do with life. Right. Um, so by the time I was about 24, I think, um, was when I actually sold my share to my partner. Um, he ended up taking it and his, he didn't ultimately didn't love running the company side of it. He just loved doing the work. So he took it, they got acquired into a production company where he now works with them. And I kind of went off to continue to start more other businesses. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you you think about now, like you said, when you think about people, uh, who, who start things in college and, and then you have the ensuing, let's just say drama uh afterwards i mean uh, the first thing i think of is like facebook you know mm-hmm. that that kind of thing where yeah you, like you said you have a bunch of young people who are kind of figuring out not only what they want from life um but also you you have the stress of running a, a fairly large company that's starting to really become its own thing uh and it, you have that you know you have that 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 friction where you say okay i have one vision for the company you have another vision well how can we kind of you know, uh, uh, make peace with it and that kind of thing. And, and like you said, you, you ended up bowing out and he ended up realizing it wasn't fun <laughs> and then just got acquired and just kind of was like, whatever, you know, so you guys still talk at all or not at all? Uh, not too much looking to rekindle those relationships soon. But yeah, I mean, on that whole point, uh, I, I think the biggest thing is just that, um, for people that are really young, uh, starting businesses and everything, mm-hmm. um, just to realize that you are extremely naive, you have no idea what you don't <laughs> know at the time, uh, and right. you probably also don't have a great grasp on um, your emotions or how to handle relationships or these very complex dynamics or also ego plays into it as well. Mm-hmm. All these things that you're just too young to realize uh, <laughs> at the time right. that right. in retrospect, I look back and I was like, ah, oh, probably, that probably could have been handled better, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're like, God, I was a dick. <laughs> yeah. You so, know? but it's, uh, you learn from it and you know, everyone, you know, it's, it's part of life. So if right, you didn't learn right. from that, you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be where I am today and he would be where he is. So exactly. And I mean, that's, that's one thing to, you know, it's a nice segue next question where you've had quite a number of ventures for someone, you know, your age, and, you know, part of that is, like you said, that you started so young and that, you know, I think that's a great aspect because, like you said, win or lose, uh, you learn a lot about yourself, you learn a lot about business, you learn a lot about, you know, what you like and what you don't like. And then you can take those lessons on to, you know, pivot and change direction if you need to in a much earlier age than most people, you know. 
So what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned from taking on so many startups early on? I know you mentioned the the hiccups of of being young enough that you're pretty naive that you know you need to uh Im- like separate the emotion from business uh and stuff like that. But tell me about some of the the bigger lessons you've learned. Yeah, so after I had that agency went and um actually had an investor that in Invested in uh, this business to go start this healthcare idea, and he wanted me to go run it. Um, and basically, the lesson learned from that was uh, I was I went from working in a creative agency to going and wearing, you know, khakis and uh, button-up jackets and everything on a daily basis, and was basically mm. lying to myself about who I was and trying to make it in this different type of business world, or just kind of being opportunistic. And um, that was a huge lesson learned on just being true to yourself. Um, and not just going where the opportunity or where the social pressures and everything take you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely one. And after that, um, basically went from that into kind of consulting for and doing like web design, copywriting, marketing, consulting for the next few years, um, which worked really well. And that, that kind of, you know, sustained me up until starting out on creative. Um, but I would say one of the biggest things I would say lessons I've learned is just that like it takes a very long time to make it anywhere in this entrepreneurial world. And I feel like I'm just at the moment now where I've see the momentum and like the strong income coming. And I just like have the understanding of how to make this work. Um, right. <laughs> and it's, uh, and I would say, you know, that's, you know, I've been doing this since I was 19 and I'm 26 now. So that's going on, you know, seven, eight years at this. And that's, um, from what I've seen of everyone else around me, um, very few people get it right the first time. You know, it looked right. like yeah. to a lot of people, I got it right my first time because we had really big clients. But the truth is, we didn't make a whole lot of money. The business right. model was flawed. We got big clients, we did good work, but we didn't make a lot. So, um, yeah, biggest lessons learned. I don't, even, I don't know. You're, you're going to be in it for a while, and you're going to screw up a lot. And you got to learn a lot of things along the way um, right. to really get anywhere successful. So what would you say of of all, like especially that that first company um what would you say is like the biggest failure you learned from was it the the lack of of turning a profit or the uh de- like the degrading relationship you had with your co-founder um I would say yeah I mean one of the things was just uh which you know, I, I guess I would say for people starting that starting a service business like that where you're just doing kind of creative work um, is a really good place to start. Um, and it's actually must eat much easier than building products, which are things that I'm now later in my career trying to learn and build. But, um, one of the things, the biggest things that's saved for like people is just starting with a service business, um, is much, much easier than starting with a, a product type business. Um, so that'd be one thing. And then I'd say in terms of lessons learned, it's just, uh, God, I don't, I don't know if I can even pinpoint one thing other than just, um, yeah, you don't know, know anything. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you don't <laughs> you know? know what yeah. you don't know at that young age, and you just have to keep learning. And there's so many different aspects of it. Um, so I know you met, you mentioned um, that you had a a investor in that company. Yes, uh, it was my second company. It was the healthcare one. Oh, your second investor. One. Okay. So, so in that first one, it was just you and your co-founder, right? Like, yep. did you guys have any mentors that you know kind of helped you usher along, or was it? You know, could that be one takeaway? You know, like maybe open up and realize that the things you don't know, you could use help from someone else, and and someone helped to kind of navigate you through those troubled waters in the beginning. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's actually, that was um, something, yeah, now I'm further out of it. I forget about this. But one of the most beneficial things that I did at that early age was mm-hmm. just reaching out to experienced people for help. Um, right. And it's amazing how many people will help young entrepreneurs get started. Um, mm-hmm. Not everyone. Not everyone has a time for it or has the motivations. But people that had a lot of help along the way often help others. Right, right, right. Um, and so, you know, there were a few video production companies uh, that became mentors of mine and a few people in the industry that just really helped me out. And so, yeah, I guess I would say definitely at that young age, um, those mentorships can go a long way uh, to have someone, you know, for instance, there was one guy who was one of our biggest clients um, who probably, you know, he brought us most of our bigger touring artists uh, but he was also a mentor where he would like kind of introduce us to these people, kind of sell us on them because he sold like LED walls and stuff. So he had like a different product, but they were kind of complimentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, to have that relationship where he'd be like, here's how you need to handle this. Here's what you don't want to do. He would like work with us on proposals and stuff. And um, so that kind of those kind of relationships helped uh, a lot. So, yeah, that, that was definitely a big part of it. Nice. Nice. So I know you mentioned it a little bit um, about Outbound Creative. So tell me a bit about how it works, because basically, to my understanding, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? So you send out mailers to different companies to hire your agency, whereas most of us uh, freelance creatives, we would send out mailers to agencies to get the work, not the other way around. Um, So tell us a bit about how that works. Yeah, so um, I mean, we use our own tactics that uh, to get our own clients as well, but ultimately, what we do at Outbound Creative. Uh, is basically the the idea is that in this really crowded, busy world where everyone's getting hit with emails, getting text messages, social media, all this stuff, um, that if you really want to get the attention of someone, um, you need to stand out and do something unique. So we basically work with our clients to create these physical packages um, that are really unique, really eye-catching, and basically catch their attention and start the conversation uh, between an agency and the customers that they want to work with. Um, so, for example, like one of the campaigns we recently ran uh, had a marketing agency that really wanted to work with a handful of big brands. So we got a cake made in uh, the city of the local brand and on top had a URL that said like go to and there was a URL that was personalized for that prospect. They went to that URL and it took them to a um, video that was a personalized sales pitch just for them. So they just get this cake, they get this personal video. And it's just a really unique way to try to start the conversation with a, a customer that you want to win. Um, nice, yeah. who, just, doesn't, you know, who doesn't love cake, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what everyone says. Everyone's like, everyone loves cake. So it's a, yeah. it's a good one. Um, but yeah, that's the you kind of stuff we do. You're a monster and we don't want to work with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice, nice. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it's, it's, um, it's definitely interesting because I know for a lot of lay people, I mean, seeing how agencies you know get their clients is a bit of a black box i mean i know if you've ever seen that they had that reality show a couple years ago called the pitch i believe um where you saw you followed a couple different small boutique agencies that would essentially uh try and get different companies to, to you know to hire them to do their campaigns but from what i've heard from other people in in the agency world they were like eh, like most reality tv it was it was a bit flamboyant, you know, a bit dramatic in terms yeah. of in terms of how it was going. Yeah. So I mean, the the idea is hopefully, uh, you know, there's actually a recent podcast episode I had with Blair Ends of Win Without Pitching. So 
Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you can grow your business to the point where you don't have to pitch, um, right. <laughs> which right. is a sad part of the industry. But the the whole thing that we're trying to do is mainly focused around getting those conversations started between customers uh, and agencies. Yeah, would you would you say that pitching is kind of in this in a, in a broader sense a little bit like for most uh, creatives like doing spec work or or that kind of thing where essentially you're doing a lot of work for free on the hopes that they'll then like your work enough that they'll you know then hire you. Yeah, um, we did a lot of pitching when I had my agency, and uh, ultimately uh, it was a lot of wasted time. You right. know, a lot of agencies sometimes you you have to do some of those things early on um, to get things going. But the idea, but basically, the point where you don't have to pitch anymore is when you become not a generalist mm-hmm. um, and you become focused within a specific niche. Um, for instance, if you're just a generalist agency, every time you talk to someone new, you don't have any expertise demonstrated um, for their you know market. You know, you're not looked at as an expert, so they're going to want to see your ideas first. Versus if you're talking to a luxury watch company and you are an American marketing agency that works with luxury products, then they're going to trust you and they're not going to expect you to pitch up front because this is what you do and you're the expert already. Right, right, right. So, so how, how did you find that? Did you, did you end up seeing that while you were running your, fir- your first company or was it kind of like you, you, only, you only came to that realization after the fact? Yeah, it was one of the things I didn't know uh, <laughs> early on. Right, and, uh, that's like right. I said, we wasted a lot of time pitching at that agency. Um, again, now with Outbound Creative, uh, what I have is such a very specific niche and focused. Um, you know, what I'm doing is very specific and focused who I'm doing it for and what I'm offering. So I charge for ideation up front. When someone comes wants to work with me and they say, oh, hey, we want to see some ideas, I just say, no, that's you know that's twelve fifty to start this engagement, and we'll start put together some ideas and a roadmap for you. Um, right. And so that's um, you know when you do get focused down in uh, as a creative professional and you have a niche, you can charge for that planning. But if you're a generalist, it's it's a lot harder to charge for that. You can, but you've got a higher likelihood of them going to someone else who's more of a specialist. Right. So tell me about you, you said you guys have a very focused niche with outbound creative. Tell, tell me about more about that. Like, what, what is it, and uh, who is your ideal client? That kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, our positioning is we help agencies win their dream clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do that through these eye-catching outreach campaigns. So our goals is really uh, agencies and kind of consulting model top companies, um, which is still somewhat broad, um, but it's still focused enough to where again I can go with the credibility and say I ran an agency for five years. Um, I did all the business development. I closed several Fortune 500 clients, and I have that credibility there. Right, um, right. But then we also have the niche of saying, you know, we're not a generalist marketing and web design agency that's going to do your website, your SEO, your marketing collateral, all that stuff. Uh, we say, like, we're going to win you clients through this very specific thing that we do. Um, and that's running these outreach campaigns with these eye-catching packages or creating some sort of uh, outbound marketing program that's going to work for them. So by having like a semi-broad approach with the uh, types of companies we work with and then a very focused offering of what we do, um, it gets down to a pretty well-niched um, type of service that we offer, which again gives us kind of control over the relationship as we work with clients. So is, is it always cakes? 
It's not always cakes. No, we, uh, believe it or not, this week we mailed uh, a batch of Donald Trump pinatas. Um, oh my God, that is awesome. Yeah. Donald, Donald Trump pinatas. Yeah, so we're, we're going to see how those go. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, oh my God. Yeah, so we've so done. Is it like one big head? Uh, no, no, it's like a tiny body, like a donkey body. It looks like a caricature of Donald Trump. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, we've we've done some hollowed out books. We've done messages in a bottle. Um, Yeah, we've done uh, a bunch of different stuff like that. Right, I was gonna say, tell tell us what was probably like your some of your your more well known or your more well received kind of uh, out of the box ideas. Yeah, one we did. uh, I had a client in Japan uh, or a prospect in Japan, uh, and so I sent him a message in the bottle. Um, and just, so it was just a bottle and inside was a piece of paper that just said, Hey, go to, and then there was a custom URL. But when he went to it, it and he hit play, it was the police music video of a <laughs> message in a bottle. And then like, there's that part where he goes like sending out an SOS. I hope that yeah. someone gets my, and I like burst, like I cut from the video and it was just me. And I burst out being like message in a bottle <laughs> and then like went into my pitch form and. He absolutely loved it. So, I uh, want him as a client. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. So, you know, you you had all these different companies, and you quickly in your early in your late teens and early twenties started learning a lot. You know, about through your mistakes, uh, through what worked, like you said, your your mentors and that kind of thing. So, when was it that you had an idea of kind of doing the podcast? Uh, podcast. So after, I guess, after I left um, my agency, I did the healthcare thing for a while. And then mm-hmm. um, as I started going into solo consulting, web design and marketing, all that kind of stuff, uh, I started building a personal brand and started blogging, which was kind of step one. Right. Uh, That's actually which, how I found you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, blogging, personal brand building uh, is something that you will never regret. Mm-hmm. Um, it is... Uh, it's just incredible the benefits that come from it. You just you can't even quantify or explain it all. Um, and so I was blogging for a while, I was doing that, and then decided I wanted to do a podcast. Um, and so I launched a podcast, which was actually completely different than what I have now. It was called The Creative Freelancer Show. It was mm-hmm. focused at freelance professionals. And then somewhere around episode 20-something, rebranded it to Working Without Pants and started talking to more. <laughs> which is a great name. <laughs> Yeah, I started talking to more uh, agency owners and other business owners and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just kind of started off as something totally different, but it's just kind of morphed and evolved. And um, the biggest benefits, I'll say, for anyone who starts a podcast is the networking that comes from it. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's amazing the people you'll meet. And I can literally tie almost all of my existing clients to my podcast in one way, shape, or form. So, Wow, that's great. That's yeah. great. It's uh it's a nice I, I got I got to give you credit. You have some set of balls for making the artwork you in boxers <laughs> <laughs> at your at your desk. I thought that was great. Yeah, yeah. We just uh, had a little bit of figured I'd have a little bit of fun with that one. So uh, right. I was like, right. who's going to say no to a show like this? It looks fun. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, and plus, I mean, who, who honestly can you take yourself serious with a name like Working Without Pants? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I can't imagine that being a, you have to have some fun with it for sure. Yeah, I operate so, on the mentality of just like stand out and be unique, you know, there's <laughs> so many agencies or freelancers that just try to make their sites all look clean and professional just like everyone else's and right. It's like, nah, just have some personality, have some fun with it. Um and it's uh, you know, it goes a long way. Right, right. So, uh what I know you you said it already has pivoted a bit. 
So what vision do you have for the Working Without Pants show? Yeah. Um, again, it's shifted a lot toward agency owners. And what I really am wanting to do is just um, build up more experience of agency owners and also other creative entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, which I think a lot of times does go hand in hand. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, finding very interesting people who have done really unique stuff or amazing kind of projects or work in their career and um, talking to them. And, you know, I, I don't keep it that structured. It's very casual. I just find interesting things and really talk, try to talk to them about, you know, their journey, what worked with them along the way, how they got the work is a very big theme of the show that I always am asking people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I think that's the question most agency owners have. Um, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, just really kind of wanted to keep growing it and, uh, get more guests and get more uh, incredible content out there. Awesome. Nice. Nice. So I have to admit as a, as a photographer myself, um, a lot of the branding and the kind of materials for Outbound Creative are, are really well done. You do it yourself or you hire someone or? Uh, yeah, so it's, I, I find it hilarious how everyone says it's so well done because it's a death to stock photo, um, stock or, or photo package. Ah, <laughs> and then you overlay. Nice. Yeah, combined with the Squarespace site. And it's like, I'm just like, I don't know. It's one of the things I've found later in life is I'm like, design's really easy. You get some good, web design's easy. You get some good photos uh and a good template and you're pretty well set uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah that's literally that's all i I gotta send props to death to stock photo on that one (laughs) nice nice like there's uh now a lot of people i mean even myself i started using like unsplash for articles i'd write for like i write for like a couple photo websites and it was so funny the i made this one article um about i honestly can't remember the topic but a lot of mine are very big like big idea kind of macro thinking and i think this one was about um how you shouldn't view other creatives as competition right and the first comment is someone going if you're supposed to be a great photographer why the hell is your picture a stock image from unsplash like (laughs) trying trying to call me out (laughs) and i just wrote and i said well yeah as a working professional photographer you also realize what what you can devote your attention to. And if I'm writing as many articles that I can't shoot images for, yes, I'm going to most definitely use a third-party service like Unsplash to make my life easier. I have many more important things to, you know, to do so I'm start on. And everyone's just like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> to that guy. And yeah. I just, you know, and I just thought, yeah, like I never claimed to pass it off as my own. And, and I can definitely say that since they've gotten more popular, that I, you know, now I see them everywhere. Like people, you know, every kind of big, small, large company um, has has had them in like their newsletters or on a site or for an article. So it's kind of like it's at this point, it's kind of like an accepted thing. Yeah, yeah. I fortunately tried to pick one of the less popular ones that right. worked with the theme, but yeah, I see those death to stock ones all around. So I just yeah. hope that people don't mine doesn't become popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what would you say? is the biggest risk you've taken in your uh, artistic career? Um, I'd say the craziest point I've had, um, I, I would say the first would be when I left the healthcare startup and uh, when started freelancing, because I was actually the same time I went remote and moved down to Mexico and started traveling. Wow. Uh, so that was like a crazy time because I did have a steady um, income from the investor when I, had, I was at that startup. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably one point that was pretty crazy. And then the other one would have been, um, probably starting outbound creative, 
just nine months ago, uh, just the way I had been running my consulting career, I actually had it, went to move to this retainer model. All the clients churned in one month because uh, it wasn't working out well. Mm. Um, and then started up Outbound Creative, which was a pretty scary uh, risk at the time. And it took about five months to really ramp up cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, uh, a horrifying uh, period as well. <laughs> horrifying five months. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. now now it's great, so I'm happy. But uh, yeah, those those big changes of direction mm-hmm. um, are always scary. And one of the biggest things I'll say that I am um, ensuring to get myself on the spot for if I ever do again mm-hmm. is that uh, having a cash flow and good financial management um, on your personal life, not just your business, right, uh, yeah. is probably one of the biggest things you can do to keep yourself safe uh, right. through making entrepreneurial jumps like this or changes of direction. Yeah. I mean, there was uh, so two things I want to talk about, but one, uh, if I don't know if you've checked out the show, but we had this one episode with uh, a man named Sam Aqualano and he had, uh, he runs a nonprofit called uh, design museum foundation and they're based out of Boston, but they also have uh uh, offices in now in I believe Portland and in San Francisco I want to say and um, one of the biggest things that I took away from sitting with him was he's he's about my age he's about 32 young guy and he's married and said that when he co-founded this it was the same thing he had a nice job at Bose as an engineer um, and was really enjoying his his you know his career up until that point but knew he he kind of wanted to do more and him and his co-founder just kind of like came up with the idea and said, you know, fuck it, let's do it, you know? And one of the biggest things he said was a benefit was that they both knew that they were going to essentially just, you know, kill themselves to get this thing off the ground. So knowing that they were going to pour their heart and soul into it, let's make it a little conservative, like conservative effort to not go poor over it. So they said that in the first three years, they agreed throughout the whole year to only put in $500 into the company each so that that way they didn't end up, like you said, they didn't end up you know, going broke trying to get this company off the ground because then what do you have? You know, you're, you're, you're broke and bankrupt and you have nothing to show for it. Um, so they... You know, took on a lot of you know investors, and you know went after government grants and and all that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of volunteers, and that, you know, and really were creative with how they made it happen. I mean, but to me, I mean, I I can I can admit, you know, that I've I've had a few ventures throughout my years that I've put you know some decent money into. Um, but to to be able to say, okay, for the whole year, I'm only putting in five hundred bucks. That's that to me takes some serious commitment to uh, to stick to. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, challenging. I don't know. <laughs> I can see the I can see the value or the, the the point of that in some ways, right? Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if that's like their own personal money, if they counted reinvesting profits or not, or anything like that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. Oh I mean, no, no, yeah, that was their own personal money. Okay, like you said, yeah, it was yeah. business money. It was their own, out of their own pocket. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, and that's that's probably the other big thing to uh, <laughs> to separate your personal and uh, business financials as early as possible is a yeah. another good uh, good nugget. As I see a lot of people, and I've I made that mistake with my first agency, and when I was started freelancing and consulting again. So uh, yeah, keeping those things separate is uh, pretty important too. Yeah, yeah. 
So another thing I read about uh, doing research for for you know our our, our uh, conversation that I thought was really interesting was you had mentioned uh, traveling, you know, and you you moved down to Mexico and doing some traveling and stuff like that, uh, and how important that was for you. Another thing that I thought was really interesting was how you said you gave up having a cell phone entirely. Is that so? Are you still running that, that without a cell phone, just using Skype and that kind of stuff? Yep. Uh, yeah. Currently wow. down in Costa Rica. Um, oh wow! Nice. So yeah. hey, that that nice breeze I hear is, yeah. is pretty sweet. Because <laughs> I'm <That's> outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, no, but I still don't have a cell phone either. Which um, we we made the jump and we started traveling and we just got rid of it and went to Skype and Google Voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and just haven't gone back. We even spent a year in the states in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, uh, you know, we, we actually have our old cell phones that we use for like, you know, basically as iPods to listen yeah. to music yeah. and, you know, if we need to connect to the internet while we're traveling to look up a map or something or call an Uber, we still use them for that, but, um, we don't have any cell phone plans or data plans or anything. And, um, yeah, just live without a cell phone. And I swear, like I have not, I've yet to convince anyone else to do this in like, <laughs> the year and a half. And everyone's like, "Oh no, that's you're crazy." I'm not, I'm not, that sounds cool. I'll just turn mine off more often. Um, no one, no one will join me on this journey. And I swear, yeah. if you do, please email me. Um, but it's awesome. Like I swear, like I just, I walk away from my computer at the end of a workday, and that's and it. my wife does yeah. as well. And like, there's just no checking your phone there's no one to ping you or distract you it's just like it's right. it's amazing i just can't even explain it but no one will join me on this journey so <laughs> yeah the first one through the wall usually takes the most <laughs> the most lumps that kind of thing yeah um, so what what is your what does your wife do i know you said that she also travels with you and then so does she work from home as well um, obviously um she she does somewhat. Uh, she is actually not as much of a computer person as I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, she worked in the event industry in um, when we were lived back in the states, and so um, she actually helps out a lot with Outbound Creative. Does a bunch of stuff there, um, and then um, she's also later this year she's going to be going to school in Germany, which school is free in Germany, which is crazy. Wow. Um, yeah, but she's going to get a degree in environmental studies there and kind of start up a, a new career path. So very um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where uh, in Germany, uh, we don't know exactly. It'll depend on what program she ends up getting into, but oh, okay. Um, yeah. So that's been a, a challenge with the travel and stuff as well for her and career wise and everything. But um, yeah, it still works out great and we're absolutely loving it. So I gotta ask, all this traveling and stuff like that. Do you like with nowadays with technology? Is it like long term Airbnb stuff, or is it just going local and uh, and just you know asking people who, who's up for subletting? Uh, yeah, we we'll do Airbnb sometimes, or we often do it for especially like shorter term stays. Right. Um, we're doing Airbnb for a longer term one in uh, Montreal. Some places like you can get decent price long term Airbnbs. Other places. Um, it just gets crazy expensive. Um, right, it's almost yeah. always, if you're planning on going somewhere for like three to six months or longer, it always makes sense. Most always makes sense to get on the ground and try to find something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so right now we're in Costa Rica. I actually had a friend that lived here prior and was moving out and um, set us up with that. So it's um, yeah, most a lot of Airbnb and a lot of just finding stuff on the ground. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So how, how long have you been in Costa Rica now? Uh, we got down here December 31st, and uh, Tuesday we'll be going to Montreal, so we'll be here for uh, two months total. Oh, wow. Okay. So you, you broke up a little bit. So you said Tuesday you'll be going where? 
Uh, Tuesday, we're going to Montreal. Oh, Montreal. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. So two, two months in Costa Rica, not bad. How, how are you liking it? Uh, it's cool. Or how have you liked it? I guess uh, at the end. <laughs> it's good. The, uh, it's, we're, we're living in San Jose, which is the main city. Mm-hmm. Um, the beach towns don't have the best internet, so uh, and I do a lot of phone calls currently. Mm-hmm. So um, really couldn't live in a beach town. So living in the main city and then doing weekend trips out to the beach. So you know I'm not sitting on a you know beach right now on our <laughs> phone call, but uh, on the weekends I generally am. So <laughs> nice, nice. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. I mean, and you know, I, like I when I read that. Uh, you know, on your blog, I thought to myself, I was like, wow, that's, that's neat. You know, a lot of people, um, especially, you know, millennials like us, I'm on the tail end, but, but it's still, I know that a lot of people just, they kind of all fantasize about that, you know, um, not really having to commit to living anywhere real long term, traveling, seeing other cultures, uh, you know, living other places. And then if you ever come back that how much more you've grown and you can, kind of uh attest to traveling is, is pretty pretty phenomenal yeah and like the, the thing is this whole working remotely movement is easier now than ever right um, the technology and that kind of stuff yeah technology more and more people are open to hiring and stuff that way and like the crazy thing is like we're seriously doing this we're traveling abroad and stuff because it's so much cheaper like living in denver is very expensive yeah um living in here literally our cost of living drops in half um, and Costa Rica is like an expensive Central American country. When we went mm-hmm. to uh, Mexico, we were renting for $330 a month. Uh, oh, no. So it's just like... Just stop, just stop. <laughs> I mean, it's just like the amount of money you save. $300 like, a month to rent in Mexico. Yeah. And probably was like, was it a nice, was it a nice part no, of Mexico? No, it wasn't that nice. <laughs> 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 that, was, uh, that was when we started off that uh, made that right. risk, the, the uh, freelancing stuff. But the thing is, it's just, it's cheaper. It's almost actually less risky than trying to start a business um, while being, you know, stateside, stateside or something where right. your yeah, yeah, cost of living sure. is two or three times more. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I mean, I went to Argentina to a buddy's wedding. It was like, I don't even know, two years ago now. And we went, we were in um, the city where they live in Buenos Aires. And then we went to uh, Cordoba, which was like the mountain town, seven hours away. That was kind of like what you were, what you were talking about, the beach towns where, not a lot of internet, not a lot of really uh, big things, but it was interesting because, you know, we when I was there for uh, I can't remember I think like two weeks, it, it, I got experienced everything, you know, from the nice parts of the city, the shitty parts of the city, you know, and then the the mountains and the small little kind of mountain towns and that kind of stuff, and it was beautiful. But what was crazy was where they had their actual wedding was in a church at the top of a mountain that was like 400 years old. It was like older than the United States. And I was like, holy shit, that's crazy, right? And we stayed there. We stayed in like these little, uh, I mean, it was honestly like camp. It was like these little uh, homes or huts that had, it was nice, you know, they had concrete floor. Uh, they had bunk beds in them with a little sink. And outside of that, it had almost like a, a brick stove along with the um another sink so you could go out there and brush your teeth in the morning kind of stuff and they had uh showers like in a in a in a big bathroom so it was it was relatively you know comfy you know um but what was crazy was i think there was probably 10 or 12 of us staying there and we were there for four or five days and every meal was included so there was two older people who were running it and we would all just 
cook and hang out and, you know, play music and just, just do whatever. And at the end, they're like, all right, we're collecting money. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. So what does it break down to? And they're like, oh, it's, um, it's 30, 30 American, right? $30 American each person. And I said, oh, okay, like per day. And they're like, no, total. I said, what? <laughs> We've been here for like four days. You got to be kidding me. And they're like, no, no, that, that's how it works out to be. I was like, oh my God. You know, like I honestly felt horrible. <laughs> like I wanted to be like, well, I'll give you 50 and just because like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the crazy thing about traveling to some of these other places. It's the, the yeah. cost of living just drops so much. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you have an amazing experience too. So it sounds exactly. like a blast. <laughs> oh, it was, and it was great. I mean, and the funny thing was I didn't even, you know, uh, uh, I speak Spanish, but at the same time over there, it's just the cultural differences, you know? So when we went down there, we would get a lot of beer and then we would go in and buy more. Well, over there, uh, you can't buy, uh, buy beer without giving in your bottles for recycling. Mm-hmm. So literally, I have, they have like a bunch of these like milk crates with like different beer manufacturers, beer labels on them, the brands. And at first I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And they go, yeah, it's because you, like we would tried one time, forgot, we tried to go in town to grab, to get beer and she kept yelling at us and she's like, where's the other bottles? I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We'll go back and get that. <laughs> and yeah. that, was, that was pretty neat. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's an interesting thing. It's like one of the things like, that seems like such a simple idea to return your bottles. And yeah, uh, like yeah. in Mexico or Costa Rica, they'll charge you mm-hmm. extra. They like charge you basically double for the beer for the bottle. And then you get your yeah. money back or when you return it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why don't we, why don't people yeah. in the States? That's like a clearly a very good environmental thing that is like a great yeah. incentive, you know? <laughs> or like you said, it's just an incentive, you know? I mean, if you, if you sit there and say, well, listen, you can pay double. And if you want to just pay double and that's that, hey, shit, all right, cool. Everyone wins, you know what I mean? Or if you're a smart person and say, I'll bring them back and get a refund, you know, it's all the better all around too. Yeah. One of those uh, cultural things that you just leave and you're like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, why aren't we doing this? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so uh, tell me, Jake, what, what would you say is your biggest fear creatively? Biggest fear creatively? Um <laughs> I would. I don't know. I, I saw this question on your the questions you sent over, and I honestly mm-hmm. just couldn't think of a, a great answer for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have too much of um, fear, <laughs> too, too much of a fear, guys. Creatively, mm-hmm. um, I haven't. And I don't know. For me, it's like right now, it, it's very much a thought of like, okay, I've got to build business that can get me into a better financial spot just because I've got a lot of student debt, wedding debt, all these things. So right. for me, like that has been a driver recently that's been, mm-hmm. and so I've been less focused, I guess, on the creative output. Um, but I guess probably the biggest fear would be that I, I let that um, need for finances drive me too long to, you know, stop my creative output. Um, you know, it's kind of like this middle ground of, I guess, Focusing on the, the the urgent needs of paying the bills now, um, but not letting you know all my creative aspirations overall in life just completely disappear in pursuit of that. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess that would probably be the one. I guess what I would say would be the biggest fear. Okay. So we're gonna go deep with these next two. Uh, name your your most meaningful moment in your career thus far. I would say. Um, 
I'd say the most meaningful has probably been, I don't know if I can say it was like a specific moment, but just over the past five months, as it uh, became clear to me that Outbound Creative uh, was the direction I was going to go in um, and just saw the potential there. And just, I don't know, I, I hit a point where I just realized um, that I knew how to ramp up and build sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and just realizing that, realizing the model worked and everything, mm-hmm. um, and just finally coming to that, I don't know, it just, uh, it, it just kind of became a moment of clarity in saying like, okay, there, I can just, I've thought through this, this one isn't going to fail, and I'm going to focus on that. Uh, it was probably a, a pretty defining moment of clarity, which I, I would say only came after years of mistakes and learning all the things that let me get to the point to know that this is this is right and this is going to work right yeah i mean it's especially now with entrepreneurial kind of thinking and everything else being so sexy you know uh that you see a lot of people like posting quotes and different things and and it's true i mean you really and it sounds so cliche because it is but you you can't have success without failures you know because of what you learn from when you fail makes the next swing you take or the next step you, you take that much more in, the better, in, a, in a better direction, you know, uh, and that much more likely to be the thing that then, you know, catapults you into, quote unquote, being successful. Yeah, you know? that's true. And again, like I said, I don't know, especially anyone young, I don't know. I can think of one guy <laughs> from like my whole college entrepreneurial scene that headed off with his first company and it's because he was partnered with his brother who was 15 years older than him. Oh, um, yeah, there yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you've got someone older mentor involved like that. That makes sense. But I don't know of anyone just young right out of school that just nails it on their first one and gets something that they carry on forever. You know, you, you might right, see some right. success, but uh, again, like I saw success early on, but it was still, or terribly flawed business models. So, <laughs> uh, you know, there you're going to you're going to make mistakes and fail. Like I just it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what would you say? I know you, you kind of mentioned it already that that you've had a lot of uh quote, let's just say learning experiences. Um, so what would you say is your biggest regret in your career? Biggest regret which again, I don't really regret too much, but I would say right. If, because uh, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time, but mm-hmm. um, leaving that agency, if I would have known how to properly leverage the perceived success I had in the industry, uh, I probably could have gone out and built a great kind of consulting business or gotten into some incredible positions or some uh you know incredible consulting clients very quickly after that but instead did this whole healthcare failure and then went down to like build rebuilding myself from scratch mm-hmm. so i was like i had this whole agency and then because i didn't know how to handle exiting that and like where to take my career next i just basically tanked everything back down to scratch and rebuilt back up mm-hmm. um so looking at that i've i've often thought back of like if i knew what i do now like literally the sales and stuff that i'm even doing now Outbound Creative is all built on the strategies that I used at my agency, but it took me three years to come around and figure that out. Um, but again, you don't know what you don't know at the time, so I, I can't completely regret it, but definitely could have handled uh, the transition out of that agency much better to put me in a better spot elsewhere. Right. And like you said, it, it's that's one of those things that 
you like you said, you you pretty much just in a sense self destructed and said, all right, let's just completely reset and go in a different direction. Um, when instead you probably could have um, leveraged the perceived uh, positioning you had to really kind of get a big jump off of leaving, which would have been great. But you know, yeah, and like you said, you you learn from your mistakes, you know. And one of the things uh, that I think has ultimately changed that is, which is a different point between now and then, is also probably just the self-awareness part of it. Right. Um, becoming aware of like the path you want to be on and what you want to be doing. And um, because, again, I, I didn't have that, which is why I went toward that healthcare startup, which is what led to everything tanking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like nowadays I do morning pages, like Julia Cameron's morning pages, uh, and I do consistent like journaling and kind of stuff like that. So I do a lot of exercises to become more self-aware now, mm-hmm. um, which I think probably would have made that go much smoother. Um, but because I wasn't aware of myself or my own emotions or my desires, I basically tanked my career. So Right. And then I also read one about that, about you doing um, the the morning writing or morning pages, you call them, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're called? Yep. Yeah, it's um, it's in, from Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. Um, which Jake, is, you there? Yep, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, now I can hear you. Okay, sorry. Um, it's from Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, which is a, a freaking great book for any creative professionals or entrepreneurs or anyone out there. But the, the main idea with morning pages is basically – um, you sit down and she talks about writing three pages longhand. I just sit down and I type a thousand words in the morning and it's not like blog wow. posts or content or anything. Right. It's literally me sitting down to be like, woohoo, here we go. Morning pages, coffee. And then just like, okay, what's going through my head? And I just like, it's just complete stream of consciousness. Right. Like it's free writing junk. Right. Yeah. It's just going through ideas, things in my head. Um, and doing that every single morning just helps me flush through things, help me, evaluate decisions, directions, stuff like that. And it's um, just keeps you in aware of your emotions and your desires and everything like that. So it's uh, absolutely life-changing. I've been doing it for almost two years now and it's, um, yeah, it's essential to my life. That's awesome. And I know you, you actually, someone in the comments on that, on that post that asked you a question, if you ever uh, look back on them and you were saying that you actually don't, that when you write them, it's just, it's, you know, you, you get it out. And the whole point is that, you know, you, through getting it out, you then are, like you said, more aware. Maybe then you're like, all right, maybe I'm stressing out too much about, you know, X. And maybe I should, you know, lessen up on, my, on being so hard on myself about Y. Um, but at that point, you then just take that and just make better decisions throughout that day. Right. So it's not like anything where you'll sit there and, and read and pour over it and read over what you wrote to then kind of get a game plan going. It's just kind of almost like you said, just just getting it out in a stream of consciousness so that it's on paper and you and you, you kind of um, put a, a face to it and say, you know, I'm not afraid of it anymore and just move on. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. So um, I rarely go back and look over them or anything like that. If there's anything that actually like comes into a plan or something out of that, I'll copy and paste that elsewhere. But I rarely check back and uh, occasionally I do, but mainly it's for my own amusement. And I'm just like, wow, I was in a very different metal state a year ago, <laughs> especially right, from right. those early ones before, like as I was still figuring all that out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very interesting also to look and see the things that are on your mind. It's right. how the trivial you, they are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the things that you think are the uh, sky falling and later on you're like, what the fuck was I just looks like going crazy about this for? But yeah, yep. when you're, when you're in it, it's tough, you know, to know that, uh, 
that you're just being dumb. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I love that practice. It's a game changer worth trying for uh, yeah. anybody out there. I'll definitely have to check it out because we, we, through talking with uh, different people, much like, you know, what you, your podcast, I'm sure, is that, you know, speaking with very highly, wildly successful people, um, the two biggest takeaways I, I've taken uh, from speaking with all them is that the fear never goes away. It just gets pointed at different shit. You know, like in the beginning, it's fear of making a living, fear of providing for your family. And then later on, it's, you know, even when you're successful, it's okay, fear of, of losing all of it, you know, or, or fear of, of suddenly just tanking what you've built um, that keeps people up. So once I heard that, it was kind of like, oh, okay, all right, I can, you know, make peace with the fear and say, all right, let's make it more about motivation and less about, you know, crippling, um, uh, you know, crippling kind of uh, connotations with it that a lot of people like, you know, as creatives do. Uh, and the second one was that a lot, a lot, a lot of them, the common theme was meditation in, in one form or another, whether, you know, it was, uh, you know, awareness meditation or, um, you know, chanting or anything like that. They, they all had practiced one form or another that they said really kind of helped them. Uh, so I could definitely say your working pages, uh, morning pages are a form of that, you know, um, yeah, and, and uh, meditation is actually something else I am trying to add to the mix right now as well. I've actually been doing it, got back into it just the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I've made, I've, I've yet in life to make it a habit for like a long period of time. Right. But I do generally do that and hop back into it because it's just something, whenever I notice I just struggle to be present with my wife, mm-hmm. uh, that's about the point in time where I'm like, I need to meditate. So, <laughs> right, uh, right. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I've, Probably should try it out because, again, it is such a common practice among so many successful people. Mm-hmm. Um, try and do it on a more regular basis. But even just doing it every now and then helps you become more present in everything. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jake, I want to say thank you uh, for taking the time out. We're right about an hour, so we're going to wrap it up. Um, but thanks for taking the time out because I don't know about you. If I was in Costa Rica, <laughs> I would I would just kind of open my laptop once a week to check email and then just enjoy being in Costa. Rica. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no worries. Um, thanks for having me on the show, Jose. No, thank you. So, where can people check out your stuff and, and learn a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, the uh, main site is jake-jorgovin.com, which will take you to everything else I'm doing. Um, and my blog and podcast are everything on there. Or um, workingwithoutpants.com is the podcast. And then outboundcreative.com is my uh, consultancy. Okay, great. So last but not least, who's someone that you would like to hear us talk to on the show? Oh, someone to talk to on the show. Gosh, I sent this question. I didn't fully prepare for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say uh, Ryan Holiday is a... Uh, Someone, when I think of a young millennial, um, I don't know if you've read his book, The Obstacle is the Way, but um, would be an uh, incredible guest for it as well. He's um, did a bunch of marketing PR for Tucker Max, Tim Ferriss, um, oh, wow. a bunch of really big authors and stuff. He was like director of marketing at American Eagle, I think at the age of like 26. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, he's, he's ridiculously... Um, <laughs> He's ridiculously successful at a young age, but he also came from a very great background, and he acknowledges that. But um, really inspiring guy. His book, The Obstacles Away, is really good, um, and he's been on Tim Ferriss's podcast. There's a really good interview with him on there as well. Where you can check it out. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a awesome guy. So I would um, someone I would think would be a good guest. 
Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, Jake, thank you again for taking the time out and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you sooner or next time you're stateside and find yourself in the, in the Northeast. Uh, hit me up and let me know. It'd be great to grab a, grab a beer with you somewhere. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one, Jose. All right. Take care. 